At the Cryptid Keeper podcast, we love to laugh at the darkness, but we would never laugh at the rich cultures that explore it, or the unique cultural significance of the creatures explored. The jokes within are on no one but us. We encourage additional research on the subjects covered here, and hope that a comedy podcast is not your primary source of information. Welcome to the Cryptid Keeper Podcast, the podcast for cryptids and their keepers. That's us. And if you're listening, it's you too. I'm Alex Flanagan. And I'm Addison Peacock. And today is one of those rare and wonderful occasions when we actually have a third secret host with us. We have a special guest tonight, and that guest is Bree Sheldon. Bree, would you like to introduce yourself to the nice people at home? Hi, uh, I'm Bree Bo Sheldon. I am a game designer, leader educator, journalist, and a bunch of other things. And uh, I'm here to talk about some cryptids, because I'm a big fan of beasties that bump in the night. And I, I mean, I know we both are, but I'm a huge fan of your work. So thank you so much for agreeing to come hang out with us tonight. I'm really looking yeah, really forward to it. Thank you very much. Yeah, I don't know if I mentioned this to you yet or had the chance to, but um, we, in case you don't know, actually have like a, a secret second podcast that we do <laughs> in conjunction with the Cryptid Keeper podcast, which is we run an actual play Monster of the Week campaign for our Patreon donors um, called A Horror Borealis, which is a lot of fun. And the <laughs> the safety mechanic of choice that we use for Horror Borealis is script change. And I'm actually like a huge fan of it. And I mm-hmm. picked up script change before I like actually ever interacted with you or, or was like following you on Twitter. And that's sort of what led to that connection. And since then, I've just sort of like you know, followed your work from a, an admiring distance, but but it's been Thank neat. You. Thank <laughs> you so much. That makes me so happy. Script change mm-hmm. is one of my earliest pieces of work that I have continued to update and refine over my career so far, and I love it a lot. And it tends to be necessary for me in games, so like yeah. I like to know that other people are getting something from it too. Definitely. I think it's fantastic. And it's been a lot of fun for us because I know specifically Addison and myself and to some extent the other people at our game table really have come into tabletop gaming as an extension of our own theatrical backgrounds as opposed Mm -hmm. to coming from it from the gaming perspective. So coming upon something like script change, which functions in this very cinematic way, but serves a really cool mechanical purpose was like a perfect fit and it's been Mm -hmm. such a joy to use thank you but that leads me to say the other thing i'm really excited for speaking of your game design is turn which i know i have sort of been sharing and i I promote through our cryptid keeper twitter account too so i'm sure a lot of people have seen it at this point but could you just tell us a little bit about that yeah um so turn i've been working on it since 2013 and it is a slice of life supernatural game about shapeshifters in small towns Oh, hell yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We're hooked already, but keep going. (laughs) So um, in the game, you you basically live the lives of these these shapeshifters who have their human identity that they have to, you know, be in during the day and during the night and every moment, but also simultaneously have to be a beast whenever the beast, you know, has needs too. Um, And it's about finding this balance between the identity of your beast and your human sides and, like meeting their needs while also finding community among other shifters and among mundane people who you still have to live around um, and other beasts. So cool. That's lovely. I think that that's such like a beautiful and natural 
intersection of storytelling that despite it being so beautiful and natural, you don't really see a lot, at least not in that particular venue of storytelling. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's not something that has gone unexplored, but it's really cool to take it and sort of reverse engineer it in a way that lets people take the helm of that and and really get into the nuts and bolts of it. So I was so excited when I realized that I had this like serendipitous chance to um unify this guest appearance with a cryptid that I am very excited to talk about tonight. Um, and as soon as I tell you the name of this thing, you're going to say, good God, I wish that thing had literally any other name. And you're in luck because it has several. Oh, good. <laughs> so tonight we are going to be talking about white things. Huh. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. So like white okay, things. Okay, so uh, like sour cream, potatoes, Greek yogurt, um, this ties troublingly into the discussion we were having just we were before talking we started about egg recording. Salad. <laughs> and I don't love it. <laughs> we were just talking about mayonnaise and egg salad and how I hate mayonnaise. So, yeah, this is, I'm uncomfortable. Mayonnaise, mayonnaise is not at all whatsoever white. It is off-white. Oh, okay. And that is the worst thing. That, yeah, that actually makes it less appetizing. <laughs> Are there off-white things that <laughs> so put it that way. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> It will. It gets worse. So not only are they just called white things, but uh, to use a more specific geographic descriptor, we're going to be talking about the white things of West Virginia, which, like, same. I was going to say, so you. <laughs> so me, basically. Uh, yeah, oh so my God. white things is it sort just, of an umbrella. It just thundered so <laughs> loud right after I said that. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, man. I'm loving that chaotic energy just pouring into the video <laughs> chat. Yeah, so white things is a bit of an umbrella term. Which means that I'm going to get, like, a thousand percent Brian David Gilbert at the blackboard tonight telling you about all of these different branching terminologies and just sort of pointing furiously. But white things um, refers to a large category of cryptids, uh, which will thankfully allow me to stop using the term white things Thank when we talk you. more specifically God. About, <laughs> about devil dogs and the sheep squatch. Oh, I love I'm sorry, dogs. one more time with the second thing? The sheep squatch? (laughs) (laughs) I like it. Have you not encountered the sheep squatch before, I am familiar with the Bob's Burgers episode Beef Squatch, where Gene wears a Sasquatch mask on a local public access cooking show. Um, Yeah, weirdly not the same. Yeah, that's the closest I've got right now. I'm very excited to hear about it. Is it what it sounds like? Uh, Yes and no. So we'll see. Um, this morning over breakfast, I was talking to Andrew about tonight's episode that we were going to be recording, and I was just, you know, gushing about how excited I was. And I mentioned the word sheep squatch, and his face lit up, and then he Googled a picture of it, and it immediately lit down, oh. if that's a thing. Andrew, no! <laughs> oh, man. So I'd like to start just by reading you a short excerpt of a book called Monsters of West Virginia. So uh, also you. Which, you know, again, yeah. me, by Rosemary Ellen Gwiley. Okay. So in the chapter titled White Things and Sheep Squatch, Rosemary says, White mystery creatures are well known to the mountain folk of West Virginia. And I promise that sentence won't be funny to me at some point, but it still kind of is right Good. now. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, <laughs> like black mystery dogs, they roam isolated wooded areas. They appear in various shapes. In 2009, I met author Kurt McCoy, who acquainted me with a particularly fearsome white creature called the White Thing. (laughs) Okay, I really need them to get better about their naming conventions here. (laughs) I know, I know. Intrigued, I found more accounts of white things in the folklore literature and in reports to such sites as wvtruegoststories.com and phantomsandmonsters.com. Oh, I know phantoms and monsters. 
Yeah, we've used yeah. that one before. McCoy, a native of Moundsville, West Virginia, and a current resident of Morgantown, became so fascinated by white things that he collected and published eyewitness accounts. He found white thing accounts in other states, but none matched the frequency of reports in West Virginia. <laughs> that is so unfortunate. <laughs> it's just, it's also terrible? so lazy. <laughs> like, what did you see? Uh, I don't know. It was a white thing. I promise I didn't just do this episode so I could keep laughing about this particular phraseology. I'm mad at how lazy it is. I am so mad at how lazy that is. It's going to get worse. At least the, the, the cryptid like that I knew most in my child, childhood had a really interesting and weird name. Ooh, what, what was, was that? that? There's the Hillside Fimp, Ooh, I, which is a super <laughs> freaking obscure. Don't know like, the Hillside Fimp. Um, there's a similar one called a Side Hill Gouger. I also don't know what that is. I have heard that phrase. I don't know anything about it. I'm showing myself here. (laughs) But uh, it's it's even spelled really weird and stuff like that. But like it was very inventive. I was I was raised under the prevailing sign of the Mothman, um, so that's you know my predominant. I grew up mainly geographic. I grew up mainly with the uh, with Bigfoot, just because I liked Bigfoot. Um, The ghosts of the Dismal Swamp and the Bunny Man. So, oh man, oh bunny I mean, man, so many more. Maybe it's, I was just starved in like southwestern Pennsylvania, like <laughs> cryptids. And we got the hillside fimp, he's half girl, a half goat. Oh, um, that's incredible. What a combination. Okay, we have to get you All back. Right. <laughs> yeah, anyway, next sentence, which is going to be even better. Oh, good. <laughs> even McCoy's own father had an encounter with a white thing. What was it <laughs> when his father was a young boy? He spotted an odd creature on the fringe of the woods near his house. It looked like a cross between an impossibly large dog and a lion. And it was stark white with long, shaggy hair. Um, I'm upset. Is that better for you? No. Um, Have either of you ever watched Full Metal Alchemist? No. No? No? Oh, I have watched it. You know what I'm thinking of right now, don't you? (laughs) Yes. Yes. And And it makes me sad. (laughs) I'm sorry. I was actually thinking of what I used to call the lion dogs in Willow that are actually called devil dogs. Oh, nice. Which Willow's my favorite movie. I'm very obsessed with it. I've read all the books. And like <laughs> I actually didn't realize there were books. I didn't know there were books. I don't either. know how I missed that. Um I don't recommend them. Oh at all. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Just watch oh, the movie a couple more times. It's I love the it. it's my favorite movie. There are books. I don't recommend them. <laughs> Um, but yeah, that actually, that description is just a white version of them to me. Like, okay, almost sweet. exactly. It also, to me, just sounds nice. like those big fluffy white dogs. Like, you know the ones I mean? The really, really floofy ones? I don't remember what they're uh, called. Oh, I know exactly Newfoundlands. Yeah, like, no. Or Great Pyrenees. Yes, Great Pyrenees. Thank you. Um, mm-hmm. They're like yeah, they're super so fluffy, big white dogs. And they've got kind of yeah. mane. <laughs> well, keep that in mind as we move forward. Okay. <laughs> White things are described also as resembling wolves, bears, cows, and even huge badgers. Great. Yeah, because you gave them the vaguest name of all time. (laughs) They're just white things. A white thing could also be, like, a cup or a table. (laughs) 
I'm always so fascinated to see which things I can bring to the episode that will make you furious. Because there are some things that you just, like, accept. And I'm like, okay, I definitely thought that would get a bigger reaction. And then this, like... That's because I'm, I'm angry at the, like, I'm, I'm angry at the laziness of it. It's the laziness of it all bothers me. And I don't know why. It's a lot. Like, a white thing. Yeah, of course it can be a bear or it can be a badger. Because it could be literally anything. It could be an albino ferret. It could be anything you want it to be. Yeah. Well, in any case, they are covered with long, shaggy, snow-white or dirty-white hair, and they often have immense jaws and fangs. They move at lightning speed, sometimes on two legs rather than four. Oh, no! Sometimes they seem to have, air quotes, too many legs. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing pleases me more than the fact that that is in quotation marks. Like, as if somebody said the phrase too many legs and the author was like, hmm, well, I don't know about that. (laughs) Just like quick poll of everyone uh, on the the show. How many legs is too many legs? (laughs) Uh, I think... I was going to say, for me, I think it's any odd number of legs. I was just going to say, because then I'm like, that's one too many legs. I think, like, seven legs is pretty weird. Seven would be bad, right? Because, (laughs) But also consider, consider, like, a bear with, like, a hundred tiny legs, like a centipede. (laughs) Now, would you rather fight a bear with a hundred duck-sized legs or one duck (laughs) with four bear-sized legs? Okay. See, now you're getting somewhere. <laughs> now you're talking. I definitely would rather fight the like bear itself because it would be completely useless on all those little legs. <laughs> That's true. It no, really it would. would move like a little worm. And if the, the, the duck had the bear claws, I'd be screwed. <laughs> Although now the vision of like the bear just sort of skittering across the forest floor with all those I hate it more than I hate most things. <laughs> I feel like there's a Junji Ito comic of it somewhere, and I just haven't found it yet. Oh, there absolutely I've been on a, is. I've, I'm not going to go too much into Junji Ito right now, because like, I feel like I should save him for his own episode or something. But like, I've been on a bit of a like Junji Ito deep dive again, because I watched a video essay where they referenced the Enigma of Amigara Fault, and I got excited, and I've just been reading all his stuff again. But I, I'm almost angry that he, as far as I know, hasn't written a story with a bear with a hundred tiny legs. <laughs> That does seem like directly up that alley. <laughs> I I love this I love this idea like that anything saying that something had too many legs could not be written off immediately by West Virginia moonshine. Like I'm sorry. <laughs> oh yeah. <but laughs> that is a lot of things look like too many legs whenever you've had moonshine. I could tell you this from experience. <laughs> if it moves really fast, I'm just imagining like when you see like a long exposure photograph and like it's just moving so fast that all its legs blur its legs blur together and look like a ton of legs. I don't know. Well, I need to let you guys know that um I know that we were all ready to completely buy into the White Things mythology here and ready to accept it as fact, 100%. But it was on an episode of Mountain Monsters, which kind of immediately ruins any sort of credibility for me. I don't know if you've ever watched sorry, any Alex, Mountain Monsters. Are but... you trying to say that Mountain Monsters is not a peer-reviewed academic source? Well, I'm s- double-blind studies. I'm saying that anytime a thing appears on Mountain Monsters, it increases exponentially the likelihood of finding articles online scathing about how it's not true because it was on Mountain Monsters. This is fair. It's very this funny to me, like as someone who is like 
I love cryptids, and I think they're very interesting. I've, like, written for, um, No Country for Old Kobolds did a book that, I don't know if it ever got released, honestly, um, but, uh, Steve Wallace, he did a book that was, like, of all sorts of monsters, and I spent tons of time researching cryptids for that, mm-hmm. and I think they're so mm-hmm. cool, but I watch no media related to them, because I cannot handle it at all whatsoever because <laughs> i'm like but what if it is real oh, don't yeah, you understand absolutely. you know i watch a lot of fiction that deals mm-hmm. with like folklore and cryptids yeah. and stuff like yeah, I, absolutely like i watched the first three seasons of supernatural but what which i insist is a good show if you pretend the rest doesn't exist um etc things like that but i i will i just want to plug really quickly something that i recently went down a rabbit hole of and i'm so sorry for all the tangents but uh, I discovered through a YouTuber that I love very much. Uh, I watch a lot of stuff by Jenny Nicholson. She's like a criti- like a film critic and just kind of general like nerd voice on YouTube, and she's very funny. But she has a video about she has a video called "The Worst Ghost Hunting Show of All Time" about her favorite ghost hunting show, which is not very good. And it made me go watch it because it's on Amazon Prime. Of course, and it's called, and it's called Paranormal Home Inspectors. Oh my and gosh. It's basically where people have like something in their house that could be a ghost or could just be like a problem with their house, like a wiring issue, and they have a psychic come and then just like a guy who's a home <laughs> inspector come. Two things. One, I want to know where I can go to that trade school. But two, paranormal house inspector sounds like what you would name a show on a sitcom where it yes. was a one-off joke making fun of shows like Paranormal Home Inspectors. Yeah, Paranormal Home Inspectors. <laughs> There's one season of it, and you can find it on Amazon, and I think on Hulu. Anyway. Wow. Just That's wanted amazing. to drop okay. that really quick. If well, you want something like really low stakes, <laughs> but like to, just to enjoy one day, <laughs> because the hauntings are not scary because they're things that potentially could just be like issues with the house. Well, so they're maybe we like, either need a plumber or an exorcist. And yes. either way, I can't help you. And they're like, so it's things like <laughs> I heard, the, but they have like dramatic reenactments of it. So it's like, I heard the faucet dripping in the middle of the night. And then they'll like reenact the woman opening the door and seeing the faucet dripping. Oh my God. Anyway. Sorry for the tangent. Tell me about the white things, Alex. Yeah, well, so we've spent a lot of time over here in in Funland, and that's wonderful, and I do love the levity. Um, But speaking of not being able to watch cryptid things because they are terrifying, I do need to dive a little bit into uh, why these things are actually kind of horrible. Oh, good. Um, Are we ready? I always need to be ready for that shift. You do this to me a lot. You set up something very funny, and then you take me into a world of pain. Okay, so let's go. (laughs) I think it's important to balance things out. Um, So here's a really upsetting paragraph. Okay. Whatever they are, they are bloodthirsty and attack (laughs) without provocation. (laughs) On the bright side... Even though the attacks are so real that people actually feel the beast's fangs tearing into their flesh, when the attack is over, they are shocked to find not a mark on their body. That's somehow worse. Oh yeah, it's way worse. I'm sorry, so they just wreak psychological warfare on you? (laughs) Yes. It's like reverse PCP. That's horrible. (laughs) Would you like to go on a bad trip without consuming any drugs? Do you want like do you want all the worst it parts of awful. drugs and none of the I mean I don't want to say fun parts of drugs, but, but you like, know what I mean. None of the perceived benefits. There is no incentive to do this. Like this is Jeez. Um and again, it's gonna get a little bit worse even than that. Uh content warning for animal violence. I'm the frog in the boiling <gasps> pot of water. Yeah, sorry, Just Turn Brando. up the temperature. <laughs> um so here's the interesting thing. When the white things attack people, they don't leave any physical damage. However, 
when the beasts attack animals, um, Mm-mm. they get completely destroyed. No. Yeah. Not like. Yeah. Dang. Alex, like, like bunnies and stuff. Oh, you know, it doesn't say anything about bunnies. I bet bunnies are fine. Okay. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Most chilling of all, says the author, Mm-mm. there's little defense against a white thing, which, like, big mood. <laughs> mm, that's like... <laughs> hmm, all right. Bullets do not phase it. Curiously, white things have an aversion to graveyards, much like a vampire has an aversion to garlic. That's a weird comparison. I thought you were going to say, like, vampires have an aversion to churches, which makes <laughs> nope. more sense. Garlic. Yeah. Just, like, consecrated ground. No. All right. So, um, you know how graveyards are like garlic because they both start with yeah, G. Yeah, how graveyards and garlic are the same because there are people who don't like both. And they both start with a G. Don't forget that. It's like some horrible Lewis Carroll riddle. Like, how is a graveyard like a bulb of garlic? And somebody's like, there's no answer to that. And then some idiot over here is like, um, well, actually. They both start with G. They both have a strong smell. I was just about to say, they smell stinky. There you go. (laughs) Let's get just a little bit further into the lore of this, and then we'll start diving into the weird and wild world of sightings and and theories. And we'll get into Sheep Squatch some, which is like kind of a wild time. Okay, so many of the early stories about white things date to the early 20th century in an area known as Morgan's Ridge. And bonus points if you can guess where that is now. I would imagine it's be Morgantown. It's Morgantown, yeah, which, fun fact, was founded by a man named Morgan Morgan. <laughs> Wait, really? <laughs> Are you lying I wish to me? I was kidding. <laughs> Alex, how have I known you this long and you've never told me that? Morgan Morgan and Zachwell Morgan. Zachwell's a great yes. name. What's not what? great is that every year for the Mason-Dixon Festival, <laughs> and I'm sorry, this is a trip, but every year for the Mason-Dixon Festival, which happens in Morgantown, um, or at least for a period of years, I don't think it's happening any longer, and like, thank God, but for a few years I was in it because I was in community theater at the time, and my mom was the music director for the theater company, and so I got dragged into all this stuff. Um but anyway, uh-huh. there was a pageant that they did um, oh, a couple years running no. called River Song, which was written by an esteemed West Virginia playwright. And the entire thing was about the founding of the area and the establishment of the Mason-Dixon line. Would you like to know the best thing about River Song? Yeah. The entire play, start to finish, was in rhyming verse. Oh, I, I hate so f- things. So few things I hate. <laughs> more than that. And I don't mean like like beautiful rhyming verse. I mean like if Dr. Seuss was bad at rhyming. <laughs> oh no, I fully expected this to be <laughs> like in I there mean, once right? was a man from Peru who dreamed he was eating his shoe. It was very bad. That he it woke with so a fright bad. in the middle of the night to find that his dream had come true. I had to finish I've, the I poem, figured sorry. out the reason why West Virginia has so many cryptids. <laughs> oh yeah? What's that? <laughs> that. Yeah. <laughs> it's an incantation. It's a curse. It's a curse. Uh, um, anyway, you did it to so Morgan Morgan and Morgan's Ridge. Um, Goodbye. <laughs> that's where a lot of these original stories of white things come from, which, you know, again, fair. On a late night in July 1929, a Croatian immigrant named Frank Kozel was walking home alone from his shift at a coal mine. Okay. He de- which, like, okay, I guess. He decided to take a shortcut through the woods on Morgan's Ridge. It was a Don't decision he would regret. 
Like, literally never do that. Don't like, if you're alone walking home from work, don't take shortcuts. Shortcuts are I know a it's going to take you longer to get home, but, like, you're going to die. It's like, I don't want to victim blame, okay? Like, I'm not saying it was his fault he got attacked by a horrible cryptid. But if at any point you find yourself in a situation where you can start listing off things like, it's late at night, I'm walking home alone, from my job at a coal mine, I think I'll take a shortcut through the woods. Like... Think like a nationwide agent. Yeah. Yeah. If they would recommend against it, yeah. um, probably don't do guys, it. Guys, I just, I need to make something very clear, and this is my own personal conspiracy theory, that shortcuts are an urban legend started by ghosts and monsters <laughs> to get people off the beaten path. I have never seen one work. They don't exist. Mm-mm. Stop it. Okay. Oh... <laughs> <sighs> Anyway, Kozel suddenly found himself confronted by a savage, quote-unquote, thing. It was about two feet high at the shoulder and was built like a large dog with oversized jaws and a bushy tail. It was completely covered in white shaggy hair. The creature stared at him for a few moments and then sprang, snapping its huge jaws and snarling. Kozel swang at it with his empty lunch pail, but the pail went right through the creature as though it were made of thin air. Kozel ran. The creature paced him, slamming against him. It had foul breath, but if Kozel tried to hit it or push it away, he connected with nothing solid. Oh my god, that's horrible. Yeah, he stumbled and fell near a graveyard, and the white thing vanished. When he got up, Kozel was surprised to see that he did not have a scratch, bite mark, or any kind of wound on him, yet he had definitely felt contact with the beast. So they're only corporeal when they want to be, like when they're hitting you? On their terms, yes. Yeah, that's horrible. <laughs> I absolutely love that and would like that power. I would like that power, but it's too much power. That's so horrible. I <laughs> That is so stressful. I'm so stressed this is, out by this that. This is a superpower, though, that like every kid with siblings had for a brief period in their early childhood. Um, and your parents definitely hated because it was like, he's touching me. I'm not touching you. <laughs> I had to take a drink. And whenever you said right. that... <laughs> <laughs> That's a um, common occurrence on this podcast. Yeah, I'm out of coffee now, which is good, because I made a few coffee mistakes already this episode. <laughs> um, uh, coffee mistake is my middle name. That's actually, like, that's actually your stage name. <laughs> it's, like, my entire brand. Okay. Uh, all right, so, jumping over to the cryptids wiki for a little Aww. bit more of a general overview. Love it. White things, white devils, or devil dogs, most notably the sheep squatch, which appears on the show, Mountain Monsters. Of course. Are among the most historically infamous cryptids in West Virginia, which, like, is true if you're considering all cryptids in West Virginia to be historically infamous, which, yes, that's, like, kind say, of their whole deal. I was gonna say, wait a minute, like, y- y'all already <laughs> have Mothman. <laughs> yeah, like, I don't know, I'm just confused by the phraseology of among the most. Like, I know we have a lot compared to some states, but still, like, I don't think you can make a statement like that. It's not like there are a hundred and we talk about five. Like, yeah, it's, oh well. Anyway, almost all white things are described to have dog-like features, but in different accounts, some are humanoid creatures like Bigfoot, demons, or even prehistoric cats. Oh, the prehistoric cats one? Yes, I've heard of that. Oh, oh my really? God. Oh, Yeah, there's like really? some alien big cat flavor in here. Mm-hmm. The, give me that saber tooth. See, I've always attested that I would be <laughs> like absolutely killed by wild animals or like cryptids or anything like that in the wild, because if I see a big fuzzy thing... And it, like, isn't immediately attacking me. My my response is probably going to be, like, can I play with you? Like, can I pet you? And I think yeah, I would absolutely. probably end up You're going to fit in here. <laughs> yeah, this is going to work well. It's a running joke on the show that I'm going to meet my death by trying to pet a dog I shouldn't have pet. And I've had a couple which, of my own moments with the cat-based fair. ones. Um, 
Yeah. That's like generally sort of a scale that we use here. It's like, would I pet it anyway? Yes. Alex described the tonsil verm to me, and the first thing I said was, it's a baby. <laughs> and the second thing. And the third I, thing. Like, I literally have like distinct scars on my face from both a cat and a dog uh, at two different parts of my life. <laughs> so Aww. I'd be doomed. Oh, no. I also am one of those people who, even though I know most cats do not like being picked up, I always will pick up a cat just because <laughs> I'm like, maybe this one likes it. And maybe they'll like... <laughs> be my friend. All right. <laughs> Maybe. I mean, you won't know till you try, right? Mm-hmm. There's a cat that I... Okay, I should stop with tangents. I was just going to say, there's a cat that I occasionally get the chance to hang out with. His name is Bruce. He's a very handsome boy. He's a big gray cat. And he hates being picked up, but I keep trying. And I don't know why I keep trying. I just feel like if I do it the right way, he'll like he'll like maybe this yeah. time it will be different. Yeah, maybe this time I'll be lucky. Maybe this time he'll stay. Uh... <laughs> Sorry, please tell me more about the white the white things. White thing. Okay. Uh, you make my heart. We could sing. not do that. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Alright, so uh, now that we're getting back into the the sort of greater scheme of things here. So white mm-hmm. things is an umbrella term. Right. Right. You mentioned. And there's some discrepancy over whether all white things are the same kind of creature, which just shapeshifts and takes different forms. Or if white things are, like, a family of different kinds of creatures that have different ways in which, like, they can manifest, if you will. Or if they're ghosts that sort of appear in these different ways. Or if, like, they're just a whole bunch of different kinds of wild animals that, because people are usually scared and questionably drunk, they sort of lump into one big category because they attribute to all of them features that they maybe don't actually have. So you can take any of that with a grain of salt, or you can choose to buy into whichever of those theories you prefer. I don't know that I lean any particular way on it, um, but it's interesting. I It's weird to me because as I was trying to look this up, like, there's really no clear consensus on it. People just tend to group it all together under white things and, like, not have to deal with it. I which... feel like they're just... I feel like the most logical thing for me is that they're all ghosts. Like, it's, it's what wild animal ghosts look like. Yeah, I mean, that's... Because that would explain the variance in species and the fact that they're all white, mm-hmm. which is sort of a color I think we associate with, like, spectral Yeah, stuff. definitely. I don't know. It's got kind of like a Hound of the Baskervilles energy to it. It really does, and I'm really into that. Like, classic Hound of the Baskervilles, not the, like, really weird direction they took it on Sherlock. Um, like, the re- give me that, like, good stuff. Good stuff. Not the weird direction they took it on Sherlock is, like, the subtitle of my autobiography. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's fair. Uh, all right, let's I'm talk not a little talk bit about my. I'm not going to talk about my mortal enemy on this podcast. We're not going to do that. <laughs> yeah, no, we don't have to. Not this time. Uh, okay, so let's talk a little bit about the Devil Dog of Logan County. Oh yeah, let's go. I've actually heard of this one, and I can't remember any of the details, so I'm so excited. That's okay, yeah. it's going to be great. Like, as the great prophet Natasha Bedingfield once said, "Take me away." <laughs> <laughs> so. According to the great minds of Mountain Monsters, who put together a lovely little infographic for us, the Devil Dog is part of the K-9 family. And yes, that is spelled exactly as you think it is. With a K and a 9, thank <laughs> yeah, God. All right. It sure is. Um, it is, and here is a distinguishing factor, it is three-toed. So it's got three-toed oh. paws instead of, like, four-toed paws or five-toed paws. I can't decide how I feel how about that. How do you find time to figure that out? <laughs> I mean, I'm assuming uh, footprints, right? Yeah, yeah. That's that's the idea, but, anyway. Or maybe they counted. <laughs> just, yeah, 
they just got him to roll over on his back, and while they were scratching his time, they counted him. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Back legs are longer than the front. Okay. Um, this next bullet point does a little bit of editorializing, which I personally find to be irresponsible journalism, but it says, eyes glow red, as red as the devil. <laughs> <laughs> which, which is that a weird is, choice for an infographic. Do they mean as red as the devil's eyes or as red as the devil? Doesn't say. Doesn't say. It just says eyes glow red, comma, as red as the devil. And it's a bullet point, so we get no further explanation. <laughs> that's amazing. They just watched Legend this week, and that's that's why. That's, that's where that comes from. I don't know why you wouldn't just say eyes glow as red as the devil. Like, I don't know why this weird little bit of parsing here, but, you know, I mean, I'm not I their editor, it. so... I think it's dramatic, that more dramatic that way. <laughs> it's that's true. Why. Eyes glow red. As red as the devil. Like, that's, yeah. That's, like, the part where the camera, like, cuts in really close. And then the last bullet point is okay. drains the blood of animals. Oh. <laughs> so, weirdly enough, the best source of information on this episode and the information um, presented on this episode comes from, an, actually, a pretty bad review of the episode in question. Oh, that's great. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just want to read, like, a little bit of this opening paragraph before we go into the information that I find within. Uh, with Mountain Monsters showing rehashed episodes under their uncaged title, we're going to take to reviewing older episodes of the series not covered here previously, but still being shown when multiple episodes are aired. Again, it is stated that covering these episodes does not constitute endorsement of the existence of the creatures covered. <laughs> The summaries are presented for informational and entertainment purposes only. Which, like, I want to know who you think you're talking to when you feel like you have to clarify to your audience that you don't necessarily endorse the viewpoints of mountain monsters. <laughs> like, you may have already lost that battle. Yeah, just a little bit. It's so good. Um, although... Another wonderfully academic point from this article is that, not to be confused with the snack cake, these devil dogs you don't eat. Although conceivably, they might eat you. That is so good. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, it's a lot to take in. There's a lot to unpack here. But they're feral and ferocious nocturnal beasties that are five feet long, have massive shoulders, red eyes, white fur, and weigh in at about 200 pounds. Those are some stocky babies. <laughs> Those are some, there's some like intense them. stats, right? Like They're solid. Yeah, absolute units. Like, they're such solid little husky guys. Mm-hmm. Not to be confused with huskies like the dog. <laughs> no, they're not husky guys. They are husky guys. Yeah, thank you. Balto who. <laughs> In Logan County, West Virginia, the beasties are slaughtering coyotes big time, leaving their victims drained of blood and at times minus their livers. That's super uh, I'm sorry. Um, I'd just like to point out that that's not something you can just do with teeth. <laughs> Maybe that's why they only have three toes. So they have those little delicate palsies they that can get right in there. With surgical precision. <laughs> they, uh, except for maybe the Bigfoot ones. Maybe they turn into the Bigfoot ones. Oh no. Maybe they turn into the sheep squatch so they can do surgery. Um, that's just like, oh, that's some Hannibal Lecter flavor I really didn't want from this. <laughs> Oh, they have it with man. fava beans and a nice Chianti. They don't mention that part. They're, no, they won't tell you that. That's what they don't tell you on they Mountain Monsters. They won't teach you that in school. <laughs> <laughs> and they shouldn't. Okay. 
Anyway, apparently on Mountain Monsters, they constructed a trap and they went to the turf where these coyotes were being hunted and they talked to some of the, the locals there and they managed to bait a trap and apparently catch some wild devil dogs. But the footage is fairly inconclusive on account of it is Mountain Monsters and <laughs> that's just kind of their whole thing. <laughs> don't say. Uh, <laughs> yeah, right. So... Take that how you will, but they found uh, footprints and surprisingly little blood at the scene, despite the fact that they found five dead coyotes, one of which had been separated from its liver. That's a really weird way to phrase that. It's such a strange way to construct that <laughs> That's sentence. like if someone loses an arm in a car accident, do you say that they were separated from their <laughs> arm? Separated from their arm. Oh, man. I'm really bothered by this liver thing. I'm like super I'm going to start taking people's <laughs> stuff. So weird. I'm going to start taking people's stuff and just say that they were separated from it. Like, I'm just going to borrow, like, my friend's... I'm going to borrow, like, my friend's blender and not give it back and then just say they were separated from their blender. Wow. It is really unfortunate that you were separated <laughs> from your blender. On a different site, which is somebody's personal blog um, titled Natural History by Scotty Westfall... Thanks, Scotty. I found a post from July 26, 2013 titled An Encounter with a Devil Dog. Nice. And I love personal blogs because they're, like, such a fascinating source of first-hand information. This one comes with some photographs, though, of footprints. And they're pretty clear photographs, all things considered. They're snowy little footprints, nice. and it's pretty exciting. Okay, yeah. So, let's hear what Scotty has to say. Scotty says, I admit it, I was wrong. I thought there was no way there could be giant three-toed dogs running around the backwoods of West Virginia. I thought those mountain monsters guys were full of crap. But when I took Miley out this evening, she didn't want to go. And then I came across these tracks. <laughs> there are then two pictures of giant three-toed footprints. Nice. These were huge dog tracks, but they were unlike any dog I'd ever seen. I noticed they appeared to only have three toes on each foot. Where a normal dog or coyote would have two toes in the middle, it looks like whatever made these tracks has had this toe replace with only a large single toe with a very long claw. Interesting. Three-toed carnivorans have not been documented before. Then I hear the brush crash about a hundred yards ahead of me, and out the clearing came a giant whitish-yellow beast. It was twice the size of Miley. He never says what size Miley is, so... Okay, yeah, I was gonna say, I don't know how big your dog <laughs> is, say. dude. Um, we'll go with... Corgi. Okay. I jumped behind a tree and turned my camera on. I zoomed in as close as I could, but in the evening light, the resolution was terrible. Here's what I saw. And then there was a video, and as stated... The resolution is terrible. So. At least he knows. I've never seen anything like it. It was like a giant wolf bear creature. Which, I mean, okay. Very similar to the one on Mountain Monsters. The one on Mountain Monsters was much more short-coated than this creature was, but it does get a lot colder up here in north-central West Virginia than it does down in Logan <laughs> County. So I guess ours would have longer hair. Oh my god. <laughs> oh, I love that. I do like that a lot, actually. That's really fun. I just, like... I'm, I'm thinking um, about footprints now a lot because footprints in pictures often look really not like what they really were. So I'm fascinated by mm -hmm. that. Like, yeah. as, as his proof. <laughs> I, I will send you guys these yeah. pictures so you can take a look at them. They're fun. Yeah, please. But uh, the individual then goes on to describe just a few more sort of uh, speculations about the nature of this particular devil dog. And then lastly says, and no, I'm not telling you where this is. I don't want every Yahoo in the country staking this place out. That is so good. I love that sign <laughs> off. It's every really Yahoo. excellent. Uh, it's very I good. Know, I know that some dogs actually do kind of like walk a little bit on the tip of their toes because my great Dane that I used to have did. 
Um, so, like, mm-hmm. his footprints often looked like one big toe, two little toes kind of thing. And I just think it's fascinating mm-hmm. that, the, like, that the, there's the, the whole footprint thing. Yeah, we tend to take footprints as, like, way more of a sort of, a, a, like, a way more concrete piece of evidence than they actually are. Yeah, especially because it's not like they're normally footprints in something that is not a malleable material. Like, it's not like these yeah. are footprints in, that were left in wet cement that dried, you know? They're in snow. They're in dirt. Yeah, right. Uh, here, I'm going to send you guys the link right here. So you can you can pull up that if you want. But For me, especially whenever we talk about, like, partially spectral mm-hmm. cre- creatures, right? Why would they have footprints? Yeah, the stories that on this thing me. are, like, really, really contradictory, but... It's good, though. Like, I love it, and it, I'm enjoying it a lot. Oh, I see. Um, so, like, here's the thing about those footprints. They look like just dog footprints to me. Three-toed dog footprints with a long claw. No, it just looks like the middle toes got yeah. smooshed together. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, that's what it does look like. But that that's okay. Yeah. Like... It's okay, like, don't get me wrong. I, I really don't get me wrong. I, I am always the first person to, like, molder it up and believe in stuff. I just find those particular footprints to be less than convincing. <laughs> <laughs> They're not, like, the best. And definitely not something I would see and then, like, change my worldview on mountain monsters, up, like, over. Yeah, like, it is weird that this particular encounter was enough to totally, like, change Scotty Westfall's tune on the whole deal. That's just a little bit wild to me. So, I just, to give some evidence of how big his dog is, there's, like, a picture of the dog's paw, like, one of the dog's paws, like, extended (laughs) out over snow, (laughs) and I think it is hilarious and priceless. It's, like, it's, like, a beautifully composed picture. Wait, I'm gonna look. And that's, that's, like, all that can be said about it. Yeah. Oh, but that's a different dog. How many dogs does this guy have? That's not Miley, that's Anka. (laughs) Maybe two? Greater Wait, than or equal two. to two. Because that's Anka's paw. But yeah, like... And Miley's uh, the dog in the story. I, I just, I thought, you know, that's the kind of paws anyway. we're looking at, comparison-wise, local to it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Useful to see. That's really funny. Oh, man. I love it. All right. Oh. Uh, yeah, so... <laughs> so, devil dogs. <laughs> there is, like, so much to unpack here and yeah i don't know i i love it i love whenever we get to talk about a cryptid that is like so specific and intrinsically tied to an area or like a culture um or a a concept which is so fun to me what is so wild is that like i never heard about devil dogs growing up oh yeah (laughs) and a lot of the stories about like devil dogs and white things are coming from much further south in the state than i was i was in north central west virginia and um, a lot of these are coming down from like kanawa or boone county or putnam um, which is, like, way, way, way away. And, you know, West Virginia doesn't look that big, mm-hmm. but if you flattened it out, it would be a much, much bigger state. Mm-hmm. So it takes a long time to get anywhere. Like, it is a trek yeah. from Morgantown down to Putnam. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But it's just so funny because all of these stories talk about them as if they're, like, such a huge, like, cornerstone of West Virginia cultural identity in this area. And I'm like, I guess... Maybe I just totally missed the boat on this one, but I literally never heard about these things growing up. And it's it's just interesting to me. Um, I mean... But there are sightings going back quite some time. Yeah, so I remember hearing about devil dogs whenever I was, like, into cryptids, whenever I was, like, a teenager, which mm-hmm. I have no idea how old you are. Yeah. Um, 
but like <laughs> timeless and immortal. In in like the late nineties, early two thousands, whenever the internet was mm-hmm. new, um, encrypted sites had started to like exist on like GeoCities mm-hmm. and stuff. I remember reading about Devil Dogs then, but like I specifically was seeking it out. It, it wasn't really sure. like yeah super common to like talk about it anywhere else that I knew of. Mm-hmm. But it's become a lot more okay to talk about cryptids actually. <laughs> Somehow. Definitely, yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, like, I've heard the term devil dogs before, and I definitely heard of sheep squatch. I didn't realize that they were, like, so geographically relevant to, like, specifically southern West Virginia. Like, I just had never heard that. Can we... Um, but, you know... I need to know about sheep squatch. You keep on yeah, saying Yeah, please it. tell me what... Tell me, you haven't told us about Sheep Squatch. We'll talk a little bit about Sheep Squatch. Yeah, I, I was trying to decide if it was, like, worth getting into Sheep Squatch now or, like, doing a separate Sheep Squatch episode, but we'll, we'll um, dive in. We'll have some time. Well, I Google-imaged it, and I hate it. <laughs> I tried to protect you. I haven't looked it up you yet, it. so please tell me about it. Okay, no, let's yeah, get into Alex, Sheep just... Squatch a little bit. Yeah, no, we gotta. We gotta now. The door's been opened. We can't yeah. close it again. I was just, I, the curiosity got the better of me. I couldn't, I couldn't live not knowing and I, I just, I regret, I regret right. everything. So here's this. <laughs> yeah. So look at that. <laughs> Aww. Sheep squatch. Is Do a you woolly like hair- it? <laughs> it's, it's adorable. It is not. It's kind of got like a weird grandpa face. I'm into it. Is that a mustache? I, I don't or know. Tusks. Yeah. He's got, he's got a cute little. I mean, I think it, it honest to me, this looks more like a combination between like a spider face and something, but like some spiders are cute. That might be why I hate it. Hate that. Hate that. Hate it. Yeah. Hate them both. Anyway, hate them both. So, sheep squatch um, is another one of these white things. It is a woolly-haired cryptid reported across numerous counties in West Virginia, predominantly within the southwestern region of the state. Uh, counties with the most sightings are again Boone, Kanawha, Putnam, and Mason, with a surge in sightings taking place in Boone County during the mid 1990s. It's described as being a quadruped about the size of a bear with entirely white wool-like fur. It has a long and pointed head similar to a dog, but with long saber-like teeth and a single set of horns not dissimilar from those found on a young goat. Its four limbs end in paw-like hands similar to those of a raccoon, but larger. No! While its tail is long and hairless like that of a possum. Stop that. It is reputed to smell like sulfur, which has been attributed through folklore to the beast being born um, within the TNT area in Mason County, like one of the Mothman theories, though this is not likely, and instead may be a musk scent gland, similar to those found in many species in the ardor carnivores, such as weasels and skunks. Now, here's the thing. It smells like sulfur because it's a demon. <laughs> because it's a garbage boy. No, because it came from hell. <laughs> I think it actually um, has a lot of, like, visual description overlap with the Hillside Fimp, which I, I wonder, because when I learned about the Fimp was in the 90s, uh, I'm wondering if there's any any sort of overlap there. It's very likely, yeah. I mean, only 90s kids remember. <laughs> 
Only 90s kids remember. The horrible scent of sulfur, the giant raccoon paws. Okay, see, here's the thing. When I when I look at raccoon hands on raccoons, that's the cutest thing ever. I love their little hands and how they, like, wash food with their little hands and, and like, pick things up with mm-hmm. their little hands. And the idea, But the idea of those but big is really upsetting <laughs> to me, and I hate it what a is, whole lot. What is so funny is I've seen that description in more than one place, and yet no drawing that I've seen of Sheep Squatch does the raccoon hands. Probably, They're all just like, no, we're not doing this. Because no one could bear to render it. <laughs> the, to render such the a artists are all image. just like, no, 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 no. Because I think we're giving it we're giving it human Bigfoot hands or we're giving it claws. And that's it. That's final. I'm not I'm not gonna hear any other argument that's on this. Because subject. if they did draw it with the giant raccoon hands, snakes would begin to <laughs> manifest in their home and them and their families would be cursed forever. <laughs> yeah, that tracks. Uh, that's a horrible punishment. I hate it so much. <laughs> it's not great. What I love so much about this first Sheep Squatch drawing is that I cannot tell if those are eyes or horrible eyebrows. Like, are they supposed to be, like, big? I, I don't know. Are they folds? I what think are they're they? supposed to be spider eyes or something. Maybe. That's kind of what they look sense, like to I me. Um, what, is so fascinating, what is so fascinating oh. to me about the Sheep Squatch is that it's, like, a lot of these, and we run into this a lot, actually, um, Addison and I do, when we're talking about certain cryptids, is we'll come across, like, a bunch of different artistic renderings, and we look at them, and we're like, these do not look like the same thing. I do not understand. But when you break it down just into the, like, oral components of what people have passed down verbally in terms of what the thing yep. looks like, um, mm-hmm. the descriptions fit every picture you see. They've just all been interpreted in, like, really different ways, which is so fascinating. So when you're talking about Sheep Squatch and you're just saying, like, it has a pointed head kind of similar to a dog, it has long saber-like teeth, it has horns, it has, like, these paw-like hands, um, and, like, a long tail. Like, those are all things you could say of something that looked kind of like a dog, but weird. Like, they're saying, this thing's kind of like a bear, but weird. And you say something else, like, it's kind of like a dog, but weird. Like, those very well might be the same creature, depending on how you look yeah. at it. It's just based on what you're expecting to see. Like, you see this quadruped coming towards you, and it's, like, chasing you down, and your brain immediately goes, like, wolf, because that's your, like, caveman brain speaking. And you're just like, ah, I'm being pursued by a horrible animal. It's kind of like a dog, but scarier. Yeah, but if you're yeah. just, like... You know, if you're camping somewhere and something comes lumbering through your campsite and you see it, you might think immediately, bear. like, holy cow, it's a bear, but, like, trying to parse it through that lens. So these mm-hmm. descriptions aren't that different. And I think that's sort of where the white thing discrepancies are coming from, is that, like, by the time we render them and filter them through so many different layers of separation, like, we're starting to feel like we have a bunch of different creatures. Right. But I think mm-hmm. if you just sit down and look at the characteristics that are being described... It's totally likely that these are all the same thing, just like maybe showing up in different places or adapting slightly differently to their environments. Or like our good friend on his blog said, maybe their fur is longer because it's colder in North and West Virginia. I've been listening, but I also think that something we really need to consider just while we're on the topic of the sheep squash and something that is really shaking me to my core is the fact that if it has hands that we need to reckon with the possibility that the sheep squatch is capable of arming itself. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> like, it can carry a knife. Oh, wait, hang on. No, that reminds me. I have to send you a screenshot from something else that somebody sent me in a totally different context earlier, but you mentioned this, and now it's perfect, so give me one second. Okay, sounds so, good. So, as someone who has uh, hired artists and designers to, like, make things based on my description of what I want the thing to be, uh, the result of these images makes absolutely 
absolute sense to me. They're totally different. Like, uh-huh. like oh yeah, it's right. So, it's so what I've seen and experienced and everything. Um, and especially whenever you consider the fact that a lot of the time these are like people's memories of what happened sometimes mm-hmm. after a long period of time or translated through someone else in the first place. So, like, that's like me telling my husband to tell our designer, like, how to draw the stuff that we need drawn for turn and just being like, well, I hope that turns out all right. You know, like... <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> you trust them, but at the same yeah, time, that's... like, you know, people are de- are bound to interpret things differently. Yeah, did you I send mean, it? Oh, I did. Yeah. Please look at it. <laughs> I'm looking. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just a monkey with a gun. That's what Alex sent me. <laughs> no, it's a panel from, it's from a Hellboy. Hellboy comic. Yeah, where he yeah. says, Is that a monkey? It's got a gun. And um, then the so monkey starts th- shooting. That's my version of Sheep Squatch. Um, um, no, but Brie, you're absolutely right. Is like We've said this before, I think, on this show that cryptids are really essentially, in one way, the product of a big cultural game of telephone. Yeah. And yeah. it's so fun because, you know, the more that these stories get told, certain people will latch on to aspects of them. And then once you've incorporated those aspects into your personal narrative of what your area means and what being, like, from West Virginia means to you, then, like, sure, if I see something in the woods, I'm going to want to think it's Mothman. Right. Like, on some level, that's going to be the lens that my right. brain is framing that through. Because you're primed for that. Yeah, exactly. And because my brain has come to associate that with this particular area and, like, these things that I've heard that I associate with specifically what it means to like live and exist in and have these experiences in this particular place. And so especially when you are somewhere like rural West Virginia in the mid 20th century, what you have is you have word of mouth and you have the very realistic threat of running into something like really dangerous on your walk home from the coal mines in the middle of the night. Like that mm-hmm. that is a real life situation. It still is in a lot of places. I knew, Absolutely. I knew people in Morgantown, which is like a really developed area of West Virginia when I was growing up, who one time woke up in the middle of the night because they heard what they thought was someone breaking into their house and they had a deer in their living room. That's which whoa. had crashed through their front like their living room big glass window and was just in their living room. Like that was a thing in like 2009. This was a reality for people living in like a really really developed area of West Virginia. Like in these rural parts of the state, I don't know what's out there. And I'm not Anything saying that it's supernatural, but even if it's not, it's a thing that you would tell your neighbors about because living in this area would mean that you would have this sort of obligation of like not only wanting the other people around you to know, but wanting mm-hmm. to be justified in feeling like that thing that you saw was real yeah. and that you were correct to interpret it in the way yeah. that you did. I was just going to say, it's also about keeping each other safe. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Like there is a lot of community that builds up in rural areas and people will believe things from each other. Maybe not entirely, but, like, you tell other people about scary things you see just in case. You know, maybe it wasn't just the, you know, figment or something. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it, maybe it was real. And, um, like, so my grandparents had camps that were in super, super rural areas in, like, Brookville mm-hmm. in Pennsylvania. And, like, they had, de- like, deer all over the place and raccoons. They fed raccoons out their doors and window. And, like, one night they had a bear try and open the door to their camp. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, so, like, there's scary things <sighs> that happen that are just, like, normal happenings, right? And 
there's a lot of isolation in rural areas and things get scarier, I think, sometimes than we than we expect. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and there's also this idea of like when you live yeah. in a community that is that closely knit, not only because of the size of the community and not only because of like for lack of a better word, like you you don't have other options, right? Like those are the people you have to commingle with. But also mm-hmm. this idea that like you want to trust those people because the alternative is like I guess sort of an emotional isolation. And that's yeah. a terrifying thing to have in the middle of the woods. And once you know these people this closely, like, and say that you, like, you have known and trusted this neighbor for years and, like, they helped you uh, put your home back together in the middle of a terrible accident in the winter or, like, they helped you shovel out your driveway mm. when there was a huge snowstorm that came through or, like, you mm. helped their kids do something or... But, like, that's the relationship you have with this person. And then they come to you and tell you about this, like, very vulnerable, terrifying experience they had that sounds like a paranormal encounter. Your options are either to believe that person and buy into what they're telling you and believe that, like, this is a threat against your community and support them in it because that's the kind of relationship you have. Or to essentially confront the fact that, like, this person that you rely on for some element of your safety, physically and emotionally, is, like not telling the truth. And one of those is easier to do than the other. And weirdly enough, the thing that is what much easier to do is like buy into this supernatural story. Yeah. I actually, that's kind of designed into turn. Yeah. So, right. Which is why I'm I was really so excited, <laughs> which is like one of the reasons I was so excited when I saw this game being talked about and I clicked through it and I was like, Oh my God, this hits like so many of my specific interest points. Like here's this cool game mm-hmm. about like small town culture and about like, shape-shifting monsters and what it means to navigate this identity in this area where you've grown up like totally loving and shaping so much of yourself about this place that you come from and these things that surrounded you and this geographic like identity that you have in within you while also trying to juxtapose that with like these ideas and these identities and these aspects of yourself you have that seem to not quite mesh with that community <laughs> that you have. And that's like such yeah. a, a beautiful thing. And it's so beautifully coalesced in that narrative. And I'm so glad that we get the chance to talk about it so often with stuff like these cool, weird monster narratives. And there are reasons why mm-hmm. monster narratives are being reclaimed so specifically in such specific communities. But to see it really, really interlaced so beautifully with this like very empathetic and poetic tale of what it means to exist in a small community, I just think is something that's like very much needed in quote unquote the discourse because <laughs> you know it's so easy to like get into these conversations and just brush off what it means for people to live in small towns and to mm-hmm. say that like mm-hmm. everyone who comes from this backwater area of West Virginia is XYZ or like no wonder people in mm-hmm. this like area vote this way or whatever and like that is such an oversimplification of the narrative and it totally erases the stories yeah. of people who grew up in these areas and had both of these identities coexisting at once. Yeah. It's not all about the major coastal cities, guys. <laughs> yeah. 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 Like, I have a lot of feelings about, like, monstrosity and identity and stuff, and I I very much strive to make the characters in turn that you play into something beautiful. Um, and that if monstrousness is used, it's only in a kind way. Uh, but, like, I, I struggled a lot with, like, the different kind of identities I had to have growing up just being who I was. And I I think that's part of the reason why I liked cryptids and stuff mm-hmm. is because, like, they were this, like, I don't know, 
unreal thing that was close to home. And, like, at first, like, I grew up only hearing about, like, the Hillside Fimp and, you know, like, Mothman was there sure. and stuff. Like, we heard about those kind of things. But as I got older, seeing that they were so common all around, to me, I think sometimes I was a little envious of the people who believed people about cryptids whenever they wouldn't believe me about who I was. And so, like, I, I like I like exploring that and learning more about what people believe cryptids are and everything like that. So this is really exciting. Yeah, and it's so, so cool to have your beautiful perspective about all of this on the show. So thank you again so much for joining us tonight. I'm yeah, of course. so, so, or, you know, it'll be today by the time the, the good people out there get it on their podcatchers, but it's tonight for us. Time isn't real anyway. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think there is such a beautiful vein of storytelling to be tapped here. And that's what it is, really. I mean, mm-hmm. folklore and mythology since time immemorial are storytelling. And whether they're based in truth or whether they're based in, I guess, whether they're based in objective truth or whether they're based in personal truth, that's still what it is. And that's the core of it. And that yeah. storytelling is such an integral part of identity, no matter what, whether it's personal identity or cultural identity or like ancestral identity. I mean, this idea of like passing down things and sharing them with people, not only in like genetic ancestry, but I feel like in sort of um, community ancestry, Mm -hmm. the idea that like the people that you come from in terms of the generations that have come before you in whatever sort of uh, pathway you're paving for yourself, like those stories are really important. And I hope that when we're all said and done with our little tiny footprint that we're leaving on, on this particular portion of the story, that it is, uh, you know, something that people after us can tap into in a way that is as comforting and wonderful for them as Finding Monsters was for us. So, yeah, absolutely. That's beautiful. Um, on that note, I'd like to bring us home. And uh, Brie, could you tell us uh, where to find you and your work on this, this space? Like, plug all your stuff? Sure. Because I'm sure... <laughs> I'm sure everyone's going to want to find you and your stuff if they're not already familiar after hearing all of that. Oh, um, so you can actually typically find me on BrieCS.com. That's B-R-I-E, C as in Charlie, S as in Sierra, dot com. That's my main site, uh, Thoughty, where my blog and all my stuff gets posted about. Um, and I am on Twitter as at Thoughty Games and on a whole bunch of other social media that you can find through going to my website. Uh, <laughs> I'm currently finishing up a Kickstarter, which will probably be gone um, by the time this episode goes up, but uh, Turn is going to be... Uh, the Kickstarter will still be up. You can check out the beta and stuff and everything until it is published, and then it will be available for public purchase sometime in the spring. Um, but, yeah, I'm kind of all over the place. Uh, I have an itch.io itch.io um, at breecs.itch.io with some of my games, including a new one that I put up about how your ears are burning. What is a precision? Nice. Oh, that's awesome. Um, all right, so you heard it for here, folks. Turn, get it. All the games, get them. <laughs> okay. That's my hard sell. I love it. I thought it was very convincing. <laughs> Do you like fun? Do you like games? We have fun here. Oh, man. So a big thank you, as always, to everybody who supports our show in whatever way they can, whether that's by being one of our Patreon donors um, or whether that's by word of mouth and spreading our show with other people, whether that's by interacting and leaving us a review on whatever podcatcher you particularly favor, or even if that's just 
tuning in every week and being a little part of the wonderful story that we get to tell. We're so, so thankful for everybody out there who takes the time to make us just a tiny, tiny part of their day. And we hope that you uh, give us the chance to let you be a part of ours as well. So feel free to come connect with us, whether that's on Twitter at CryptKeepPod or on Facebook at The Cryptid Keeper or in our big happy family, The Cryptid Keeper Appreciation Group. We're in there all the time. There's like fun art and incredible projects from people. I find like plushies in there and like cool cryptid fursuits. Like there is everything and it is so choice. Oh yeah. Um, we it's also so uh, have a Discord, which you can join if you're a Patreon donor of $5 or above, or you can always send us an email at cryptkeeppod at gmail.com if you have a listener story to share or you just want to say hey. So hit us up all the time. We love to chat, and we try to do as much of it as possible, although we're terribly behind on our Twitter DMs. I did just catch up on all our Facebook DMs, though. <laughs> hey, you got it. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> A big thank you as well to our in-house composer, Andrew Giada. You beat me to it. And also thank you to our audio wizard, Val Patron. And as always, we hope we can keep you around and stay safe out there. <laughs>